My scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, starting in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. See, I am about to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Now it springs forth. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. To give drink to my people, the people who I formed from myself, so that they may declare my praise. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place, be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The other Pevensey children went on ahead exploring other areas of the house, but Lucy stayed behind. She thought it might be worthwhile to try the door to the wardrobe, even though she was almost sure that it would be locked. But to her surprise, it opened quite easily and two mothballs dropped out. Looking inside, she saw several long fur coats hanging up, and there was nothing Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur. So she immediately stepped into the wardrobe and rubbed her face against them, leaving the door open, of course, because she knew that it is very foolish to shut oneself into a wardrobe. Soon she went further in and found that there was a second row of coats hanging up behind the first one. It was quite dark in there. So she kept her arms stretched out in front of her so as not to bump her face into the back of the wardrobe. She took a step further, then two or three more, each time expecting to feel the woodwork against the tips of her fingers, but she couldn't feel it. This must be a simply enormous wardrobe, thought Lucy, still going in further and further, pushing aside the soft folds of the coats. Then she noticed there was something crunching under her feet. Is that more mothballs, she thought, stopping down to feel it with her hands? But instead of feeling the hard, smooth wood of the floor of the wardrobe, she felt something soft and powdery and cold. This is odd, she said, and went on a step or two further. 
And the next moment, she found that she was rubbing against something hard and rough and prickly. Why, just like the branches of trees, she thought. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, but not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. Lucy suddenly realized that something cold and soft was falling on her. And a moment later, she found herself standing in the middle of the wood at nighttime with snow under her feet and snowflakes gently falling through the air. And this is that magical moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis when Lucy Pevensey discovers that walking through this dark and mysterious wardrobe leads her into the magical world of Narnia. Now, like many of us, I have always been drawn to Narnia and Mr. Tumnus and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and all of the enchanted friends that Lucy and her siblings make there. But this week, I began reflecting a bit on Lucy's experience in the wardrobe Because in this moment, right before she discovers Narnia, she's in this mysterious wardrobe, and it is completely dark. But notice that Lucy doesn't approach this darkness with fear, but with wonder and curiosity. She's the only one of her siblings who stays behind to check it out, And she asks questions and wonders out loud as she feels her way through the dark, keeping her hands in front of her just so she doesn't bump into anything. And she has the courage to keep stepping forward through this wardrobe, even when she has no idea of where she is going. For the past month during the season of Lent, we have been leaning into the darkness here at Highland, realizing that perhaps before we rush to the light and the sunrise of Easter morning, we would do well to learn to find our way through the dark and to discover what God has to teach us through the dark spaces of our lives and of our world. As our friend Wendell Berry writes, go without sight and find that the dark too blooms and sings and is traveled by dark feet and dark wings. And today I would like to remind us that new life almost always begins in the dark. Like Barbara Brown Taylor points out in front of your worship folder today, Think of it, the, a baby grows inside of its mother's womb in the dark. A butterfly developing within the dark safety of a cocoon. A seed or bulb planted just beneath the ground. A broken bone healing beneath the protection of a cast. The sun preparing to rise just beneath the night sky. 
Whether we call it resurrection or new beginnings, transformation or new life, it almost always begins in the dark. The question is, are you and I willing to trust God in these dark spaces of our lives, especially when our eyes can't see what is happening around us? Are we brave enough to trust the God who says to us through the prophet Isaiah, see, I am about to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, in the preceding verses in Isaiah 43, God points back to the ways in which God saved the people of Israel and helped them to escape slavery in the land of Egypt to that dark night when the people left everything behind with Pharaoh and they followed Moses out into the wilderness. That magical night when God parted the waters of the sea and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. But God said, don't think about any of that because I am about to do a new thing. Except this time there are no visible signs for the people to look toward. The people of Israel are now in exile, without a home, wondering if God has abandoned God's promises to them. There is no Moses with the staff leading them forward like a tourist guide raising their flag at Disney World. There is no pillar of fire to guide them through the wilderness, no burning bush through which God speaks or manna waiting for them to gather every morning. And perhaps the question for us to ask is, when there are no visible signs of God's presence, are we, like the Israelites, willing to trust God anyway, even when we can't perceive it, even when it's dark and we can't see anything at all? One Old Testament professor says, this is a text to read when it feels like the world is crashing down around us. When our minds are too jaded and our spirits are too discouraged to see how God may be present in our current darkness. This is the passage to read when the dull thrums of life's rhythms feel especially meaningless. This is the text to read during Lent when we come face to face with the mess we have made as humans of our relationships and of this world. When we recognize how profoundly broken and how incapable of fixing things we actually are. For it is only in this place of helplessness and disorientation that hope can finally begin to emerge. We often call this in-between space liminal space. This space between what we know and what we don't know. This space where our way forward is not clear yet. This dark cloud of unknowing where we can't see our next step. Writing coach Joe Bunting says that every good story must include some sort of liminal space. Because within every good story is a protagonist who encounters some sort of change, and change only happens through liminal space, 
through this time of transformation. Or as one of my favorite modern theologians, Ted Lasso, puts it, fairy tales do not start, nor do they end in the dark forest. That son of a gun always shows up smack dab in the middle of the story. For instance, it is the space between the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents and his becoming Batman in order to protect others. Liminal space is Luke Skywalker's apprenticeship in the swamps of Dagobah. It's Frodo's long, slow journey to Mordor. Liminal space is the period between Elizabeth Bennet's realization that she does like Mr. Darcy and the moment she finally agrees to marry him. But we find liminal spaces all throughout Scripture, too, don't we? For the Israelites in the book of Exodus, liminal space was the wilderness. For Jonah, it was the belly of a whale. For Paul, it was his days of blindness in the city of Damascus. And for the Israelites in today's text, this liminal space was exile. As Richard Rohr reminds us, all transformation takes place here in liminal space. We have to allow ourselves to be drawn out of business as usual and remain patiently on the threshold where we are between the familiar and the completely unknown. But then he says something surprising. Because I don't know about you all, but I tend to think that liminal space, this dark unknown space in between, can be pretty excruciating. I like to know where I'm going. I like to know the plan. I like to know what steps I'm going to take and how I'm going to get there. I don't like the unknown. But Rohr says this of liminal space. He says, get there often and stay there as long as you can by whatever means possible. Because this is where God can best get at us. Because our false certitudes are finally out of the way. This is the sacred space where the old world is falling apart and a bigger world is being revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, he says, we start idealizing normalcy. But the threshold is God's waiting room. Here we are taught openness and patience as we come to expect an appointment with the divine doctor. And so I wonder, in what liminal space do you find yourself today? In what wardrobe or wilderness or waiting room are you trying to make a way through? And even when you can't see what's ahead of you, do you trust that God is getting ready to do a new thing? Like Isaiah says, do you not perceive it? I'm mindful that we are not unfamiliar with liminal space here at Highland, are we? Between an interim and a pandemic and staff transitions, it may feel as if we've been in liminal space for several years now. 
And yet before we claw and clamor to finally get out of this darkness, I wonder if we too might need to pay attention to the God who is saying to us, see church, I am getting ready to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And even if you can't see it just yet, can you put your arms forward like Lucy Pevensey? And can you trust and feel your way through the unknown together, trusting that Highland's best days are not behind us and that a bold and beautiful future is ahead of us because we follow the God who says, see, I am about to do something new. On December 31st, 2016, a group of faith leaders gathered for a watch night service in Washington, D.C. Now, I learned something this week that the watch night service originally began as an African-American tradition. After small groups of enslaved people gathered together on December 31st, 1862, to watch and wait and hope and pray for the new year when the Emancipation Proclamation would finally take place. In the African-American lectionary, Dr. Bernice Johnson Reagan points out that watch night services were a significant part of the fabric, bringing multiple and extended efforts together to undermine and destroy the legal system of slavery in the United States. And today, she says, we are called to continue to mark this time as a reminder of the importance of not accepting that which is evil in our midst. And so at this watch night service, at the end of 2016, faith leaders gathered together to pray during what felt like an especially dark night in our country. And a lawyer and activist named Valerie Kerr stepped into the pulpit that night Her words quickly went viral. In fact, if somebody's watching online, maybe you could post the video of them right now. Because I have returned to these words over and over again, and I want to share them with you today. She begins that night unpacking a bit of her family history, sharing about her grandfather who was thrown into prison when he arrived in the United States from India in 1913. Because when immigration officials saw his dark skin and turban, they feared that he was dangerous. And it wasn't until a few months later that a lawyer filed a writ of habeas corpus that released him on Christmas Eve of that year. Kerr said, on this New Year's Eve night, on this watch night, I close my eyes and I see the darkness of my grandfather's cell. In this moment, as white nationalists see things as their great awakening, as hate acts against Sikhs and our Muslim siblings are at an all-time high, at a time when black bodies are still seen as criminal, brown bodies are still seen as illegal, trans bodies are seen as immoral, Indigenous bodies are seen as savage, and the bodies of women and girls are seen as someone else's property. 
And it becomes increasingly easier for people to bully them, to abuse them, to allow policies that neglect them, that incarcerate them, and that kill them. She talks a bit more about the darkness of this moment, but then she pauses. And she says, the mother in me has to ask, what if? What if this darkness is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb? What if our country is just waiting to be born? What if the story of America is one long labor? What if all of our grandfathers and grandmothers are standing behind us now Those who survived occupation and genocide, slavery and Jim Crow, detentions and political assault. What if they are whispering in our ears in this moment, you are brave? What does the midwife tell us to do? She asks, breathe and push. Because if we don't push, we will die. And if we don't push, this country will die. And so tonight, she says, we will breathe. And tomorrow, we begin pushing. Tomorrow, we will labor in love. Because revolutionary love is the magic we show our children. It is the only way forward for us to breathe and push. Highland, I wonder today, in this liminal space, in what ways our midwife God is calling us to breathe, and in what ways she is calling us forward to push. Because here in this sacred space, this space that Paul Duke once called the womb of God, we breathe. But then in a few moments when we leave this space, out there in all the ways that God is calling us forward, we push. (laughs) Because from the darkness of this womb, friends, I can only imagine all that is waiting to be born within us, within our church, within our community, within our world. May we listen to the words of the God who says, See, I am about to do a new thing within you. Do you not perceive it? May it be so of us. Amen.